0: Hear the word of God from 2 Samuel chapter 7. When King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies, the king summoned Nathan the prophet. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of God is out there in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling." "'Yet no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, "'I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders, "'the shepherds of my people Israel. "'I have never asked them, "'Why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? "'Now go and say to my servant David, "'This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. "'I took you from tending sheep in the pasture "'and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. "'I have been with you wherever you have gone.' and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies furthermore the lord declares that he will make a house for you a dynasty of kings for when you die and are buried with your ancestors i will raise up one of your descendants your own offspring and i will make his kingdom strong he is the one who will build a house a temple for my name and i will secure his royal throne forever i will be his father and he will be my son if he sins I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do, but my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like, sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things, and have made them known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord! There is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people, Israel? What other nation, O God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel, and may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord. Your words are truth and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Amen. Thanks, Sarah. You guys notice I'm not Lawrence. Uh, Pastor Lawrence uh, yesterday says, "Danny, I'm feeling a little sick. It's not COVID, but feeling." But then he calls me at like six or seven. He's like, "Feeling much better. Gonna do the sermon." Uh, but he said, "He's like, buddy. He's like, just so you know, that's how I feel right now. Feel feel good. I woke up about 6:50 this morning, and there was a message on my phone at 4:40. He's like, haven't slept at all. Feeling really bad. Pray for me." can you do the sermon? Thanks. So, the good news is, is this is an introductory to our new sermon series. And, um, we had both all of the pastors and staff, we had been talking about this for a while. So I'm going to present kind of a summary of, of what God's laid upon the hearts of us as, as pastors and staff, as we've Just process where we are as waypoint and where we are in our sermon series. Uh, We are preaching through the Bible. We normally go from Old Testament to New Testament. Earlier in the year, we did Joshua and Judges, which are Old Testament history narratives. And then we uh, moved into a time of looking at um, Mark. And then we also looked at uh, Colossians and Galatians. And now we are back to the Old Testament history. So... I'm going to give you a little history lesson because t- we're going to be looking at Samuel and Kings, uh, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings for the next, I think, eight or nine weeks. So in, in preparation for that, this morning, I just want to catch us up to where we are in the history of First and Second Samuel and then think through, why, why do we study this? Why is this important? Why don't we just know the story vaguely? and then focus only on Jesus and the New Testament. So today's sermon is to kind of prepare our hearts for the important task that God. we believe that God has called us to, to look at the whole council of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. So bear with me. Uh, I wrote this this morning. I have handwritten notes. This is like old school, like back when I was in college even. Like some people typed out their, their things. So I'm going old school here. So the slide guys don't have anything to go on except for me say, slide, you know, next slide. All right. So where are we in the history, in biblical history when we get to Samuel, First Samuel? Um, can we put up the slide, show the books of the Bible? So this is hard to see, but you can see you have the law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the history books, Joshua through Esther, wisdom books, uh, and then the prophets. Let's go to the next slide. So I, I zoomed it in. So we last year, uh, we looked at Genesis through Deuteronomy as a church. We went through the first five books, which contain theology and history of the Jewish people and God's call on them through the covenant he makes with Abraham. Um, then in the history books, we've studied Joshua and Judges. We did Ruth a couple years ago, so we didn't do Ruth now, but Ruth is really important. In this uh, timeline, you have... Joshua brings the people into the promised land and the judges is the time when judges ruled and God said, you don't need a king, you can just trust me. Like, I will be your king. And they, the judges were supposed to uh, be able to discern and, and help lead them and guide them as they trusted God with his covenant promise that he made to Moses, that he give them this land. Ruth is a really amazing story. I, I recommend all of you going and reading Ruth. It's very short. It's an interjection in his uh, Israel's history, showing how God is faithful in his covenant, even though the time of the judges, they're not faithful. And Ruth is a story about a, a Moabite woman, and the Moabites are actually the descendants of Lot's incest with his daughter. Um, another story for another day. You have to go back and listen to our Genesis sermon series. A lot of brokenness in all these books, but there's always God's covenant faithfulness and there's always him People turning back to God and him interjecting in history and and saying, even though you guys are failing continually, I will honor my covenant. And the story of Ruth is one of those stories. And Ruth is actually a descendant of Jesus. She's one of his great, great grandmothers. And it's just an amazing story about how God redeems history. He redeemed the Moabite people, which were a broken people, a people outside of the covenant, and brings them into the covenant. And Ruth actually is, is the great grandmother of David and she's the great great a lot of greats grandmother of Jesus our Lord so that's where we are in the timeline next slide so this is um these are approximate dates you could say Abraham was around the older the data is the less likely we are to know exactly they look at Egyptian artifacts and different things so you know it could be disputed by a couple hundred centuries the older it gets and then maybe a A decade or so. the 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 closer we get to the the modern period, Uh, Abraham was around 2000. Joseph was around 1750. Moses in the Exodus around 1500 BC. David around 1085. Uh, The kingdom split. David's uh, grandsons can't hold it together, and they they have a civil war, and they divide the kingdom of Israel into two parts. Uh, The first, the the northern kingdoms. Uh, get destroyed by the Assyrian army and go into exile around 720 B.C. And then the, the kingdom where Jerusalem was, the southern kingdom, uh, finally gets taken. Uh, another army comes and captures it around 580 B.C. And during all this time is, is the books that we're going to be reading, the, uh, Samuel and Kings, from David to the Babylonian captivity. These are also the time of the prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos. They are... Telling the people to turn back to God. Turn back to God. God will be faithful to his covenant promises. Turn back to God. And then we get to the birth of Jesus around 3 BC or so. So next slide. In our English Bibles, the one that I showed you earlier, we take the order from the, uh, from the Greek version of the Old Testament, which was completed around, say, around 200 years before Jesus. Uh, But the Hebrews Bible was in a series of scrolls. It was probably about 22 scrolls. So a full, a complete set would have 22 of the uh, scrolls. And the scroll, like Genesis would be a scroll, Exodus would be a scroll, Leviticus. And they they divided their Bible up into the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the former prophets are Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings, and then the latter prophets are what we, we call the prophets in our, our Bible. So if you see, even in this timeline, uh, Samuel and Kings were actually one scroll. Um, and they were meant to be part of this teaching of God's prophetic ministry that even when the kings fail, even when the keep people fail, God will always provide a prophet to warn people, to point them back to Christ and to say, even when you fail, I'm going <laughs> to. I am doing something. Just turn back to God, turn back to God, turn back to God. Next slide. This is my final one. Uh, I showed this when I preached a couple weeks ago, but if I want to keep, we're going to keep going back to this. But if you look at the Old Testament, we have the pattern of the kingdom in the Garden of Eden. We have the parish kingdom when Adam and Eve fall and and, and sin against God in the the Garden. And they lose God's favor and they lose what God gave them. and, And that talks about the fall and the flood and the Tower of Babel. Then God makes a covenant with Abraham, and that covenant stands with the people, and he, God continually follows his promises through Moses. Then there's the partial kingdom, which is Joshua to Solomon, which is where we are right now. So I'm going to stop there. So this is where we are in the biblical timeline. Um, and we're going to watch a short video on the covenants, just because if you don't understand the covenants that God made it's going to be hard to understand 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. So let's watch this video and then we'll we'll dive into the text.
2: If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend or your father or... Maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right, and this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. It's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many. And he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption and Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So, what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant, is that God is promising to be faithful, even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So, those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods. They allow horrible injustice. And so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus, is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law, and we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him. So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who are becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning.
1: Get the lights. Thanks. So... I hope that was a good uh, summary, and you can see where David fits in. Actually, what was read this morning, what Sarah read, was the covenant that God makes with David. Um, so, what does this mean for us? Um, I had another video. We're not going to watch that, but I want us to think about where we are in the timeline and why this is important. So, I, I'd sometimes walk on the stage and show this example. So, this is Genesis 1. It's good. God creates a good world, and Adam and Eve have everything, and they're to be stewards of this world, and God, it doesn't show it in the video, but he makes a covenant with them, and says, um, you know, be my people, honor me, trust me, have, fulfill your covenant with me to live in this garden, and to honor me, and to have dominion, and to be fruitful and multiply, and you can't do, you can do everything but one thing, And the one thing he asked them not to do, be like him by, by taking the fruit they did. So they break the relationship with God. And then God makes another covenant here with Abraham. I mean, with Noah. And we saw that in the video. And God says, I'll never again destroy the earth. Then the whole point of Genesis one through 11 is to get us here to Abraham and the covenant God makes with Abraham. And we're still under that covenant today. We are Abraham's children And then we get here to the covenant that God makes with Moses and the people fail. Judges, Joshua and judges show that they fall short and then, but God is still faithful and God gives them land and he gives them a kingdom and all they have to do is follow God. They don't have to build the biggest army. They don't have to do all the political things that you'd think it would take to maintain an empire that's on an important strip of land. Where they lived, why other people wanted to continually conquer them is because the land that God gave them was very central. It was very important. It was a trade route. It was had fertile soil to grow crops. It was a very, very important place, piece of land in between where the Babylonians and the Assyrians lived and where the Egyptians lived. God gives them this land, and he says, if you just trust me, I will fight the battle for you. Actually, if you notice in the in this morning's text, it says... the the translation we use says the Lord of Heaven's armies. That's a particular Hebrew word sometimes translated as the Lord Almighty or the Lord of Hosts in some older translations. And it means that God is the God of all armies, but it doesn't want us to think about physical earthly armies. God doesn't want David to be proud of his earthly armies. God wants David to be proud of the fact that God fights the battles for him. So that's where we are in the timeline. But why is this important to us today? So um, let's look at the two covenants God made with the people at this point. There's a slide where it says Sinai and David. Okay, so this is what we studied before, Joshua and Judges. So in Joshua, God fulfills his covenant promise, the promise he made to the people at Mount Sinai through Moses. But in, during the book of Judges, Israel fails its covenant obligation. God renews the covenant, I mean, God is still faithful, and Samuel begins to show us that God establishes his covenant with David and fulfills his covenant promises. They get the land. Despite all their failures and how bad they were, God still gave them the land and the kingdom. That's the faithfulness of God, not because of what they did, but because God made a promise with Abraham, and he made a promise with the people at Mount Sinai through Moses, and he was faithful. God makes this covenant to David. So why do we jump from to 2 Samuel for this morning, for the introduction? Because the covenant that God makes with David is the pinnacle of the Samuel and King scrolls. So what does this mean for us today? The leaders failed. The people followed along and failed with them. But God is faithful to his promise. So I want you to remember this. As we enter into this series on Kings and on Samuel and Kings. Our hope is in the covenant faithfulness of God. So if you forget all that I just taught you about the history, remember this. Your hope is in the covenant faithfulness of God. Well, why do we study it? Because we need to know what is the covenant faithfulness of God? When was God good? If something breaks or goes wrong, who's good at fixing it? The person who created it and the person who's dealt with it and knows how to fix it. When my computer breaks, I want someone who knows something about it, right? Well, when we look at the broken world, we go back to God and look at, he knows, he created it and he, what did he promise? What is true about his world? And when we see the brokenness, we can go back to it. Anybody have the the phone plan, Apple tries to sell it, where like, no matter what you do, you get a free phone. Any of you so afraid of dropping your phone or whatever that you do that? Some of you might have the OtterBox makes like a $90 case that's like supposedly you can't destroy your phone. But you can get this type of insurance on your phone that literally if it's your fault, if you break it, if you do anything wrong with it, Apple will give you a new one. And that's not a perfect. I never want to make it human analogies for God. But no matter what we do, God is faithful. Like no matter what. And the covenants that God makes with his people show this. So as we're studying Kings and Samuel, you're going to hear a lot of disturbing stories. Some of you, we did a two-year Bible reading plan uh, for 2020 and 2021. And a lot of you read through the Old Testament and came to us and said, I don't like this. I don't, this is disgusting. These people are terrible. How does God put up with this? What's going on? Why are these stories of these horrific stories continuing to God allowing this. And you're going to find that again in Samuel and Kings. People that God gives their favor and gives everything. The kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the two kingdoms that have the civil war, most of them are bad. Most of them just continually disobey God over and over and over again, even though the prophets are begging with them, pleading for God to turn back to God. So as we're hearing these stories, I want you to remember that our hope is in the covenant faithfulness of God, not in these humans who are frail and, and fall. I want to look at two New Testament passages, uh, 2 Timothy 2.8. This is how Paul presents the gospel. Can we put it up on the screen? 2 Timothy 2.8. I hope this slides up, if it's not. Or Romans 1, 1 through 4? Is that one? In the All right. Well, in both of those, Paul says, my gospel is Jesus Christ, descendant of David, risen from the dead. That's the essence of the gospel. Why does Paul always refer, the two times he clearly says in the New Testament, this is the gospel. He mentions David and he mentions Jesus risen from the dead. And Jesus is exalted as Lord. And that's intentional because Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant that we read this morning. God has always been faithful to keep his promises throughout history. The people fail, the leaders fail, the human systems fail. But we have a covenant God. And we, as Christians, this is really important. We have a new covenant in Jesus. And in the prophets, particularly in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and Isaiah, God promises this new covenant. And Jesus himself says, I am the new covenant. So only you remember this. We don't have to despair or lose hope when we read these stories in the Old Testament. The stories in the Old Testament aren't about heroes of faith. They're more about failures of people. And the, the hero of the, of the Old Testament is God's faithfulness. Now, the the beautiful thing in the Old Testament, we have stories of people like David who make mistakes and turn back to God. So I want you to notice the patterns. When the person recognizes their sin, when God exposes their sin, normally through a prophet, if you notice, Nathan was mentioned here. Nathan is the prophet that David's accountable to, one of the prophets, but the one that we know most about. So David's the king, but he's still accountable to the priests. He still needs forgiveness of his sins through the priestly system and he's still accountable to the prophets who speak for God telling him you need to turn back to God. This is not your kingdom. You're a steward of God's kingdom. So as we're learning these stories, you're going to feel despair. You're going to lose hope. You're going to be like I can't, I just can't believe this is in the Bible. Where's the good stuff? But I want you to look and see God's faithfulness and look at the difference between the people who, when the prophet exposes their sin and exposes their brokenness, they turn back to God. And then I want us to remember we don't have to despair or lose hope when we hear about church history failures. Part of why we go back and study the Old Testament is because this is our story too. Every sin that they, and every failure of leadership that happens, and and Judges, and Joshua, and Kings, and, and, and Samuel has happened in church history. And it's discouraging. Some of you have maybe wanted to just give up. You hear about the brokenness in the church and you're just like, I want to give up. And I'm here today to tell you, don't give up. God is faithful. God is doing something. but we do need to address the sin and the failures and confess them and turn back to God. There's three major roles. There's kind of five people, five people groups in the Old Testament history. The first one is the Jewish people, then the second one is all the people around them, all these nations who are worshiping these pagan gods. The third category is the priests. Those are the ones who God says they are going to represent my system of forgiveness. And the priests were in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God and the ability for the people to come and be forgiven of of, from God. When Jesus dies, there's a temple in Jerusalem and there's the Ark of the Covenant is sitting there and there's a curtain there. What happens when Jesus dies? The New Testament tells us the Gospels tell us the curtain is torn in two. And that access to God, we have access to God, but it also goes out. So you have the people who are supposed to be following God, the people under the covenant that God makes with with Abraham and Moses. Then you have the outside people who, these people are supposed to be a light to those people. They're supposed to be living for God, and God's blessing them, so it's attractive. If you, any of you, I mean, I don't want to So sometimes people try to sell businesses or something. They try to sell you an idea. Okay. I mean, in college, this guy came and he's like, when I went to college, we still use phone cards. So if you had, a lot of guys had girlfriends that lived in other states or whatever, and it was like 19 cents a minute if you just dialed straight from the phone in the dorm. But you could get these phone cards from AT&T and it was like 12 cents a minute. So for you guys who are younger, you can't even imagine this, but 12 cents a minute or something to call home. And then these other people came up with these cards that were like eight cents a minute. So, my, so this guy comes to us at the fraternity house and he's like, I got a business proposal for you. He's like, you can sell these phone cards. And if you sell these phone cards to so many kids, all these college students will save money on their phone thing. And for every person you get, you get 10% or whatever. And he wanted to sell me a business. And I was like, just sell me a phone card. I don't want to buy a business. Just, just give me a bunch of phone cards and I'll sell them and I'll make money on them. Well, why do I bring up the story? Because I think that if, if something's attractive, if you knew you could make money by doing this thing that you're good at, people are going to be drawn to it. And what God gave them through David was extremely attractive. The nations around them should have been like, we want to serve this God. This God blesses you. This God protects you. This God provides all your needs. This God doesn't even ask you to create a standing army of power. He just says, trust me and I will fight the battles for you. It should have been so attractive that all the people around them wanted to follow God. And that's what God's doing when he creates this covenant with David. He's saying, David, I'm going to make your kingdom so attractive that everybody wants to come and join It's not going to be like, well, maybe like the phone card thing. I don't know if I want this. You know, he presents it to me. And I was like, I don't want to do that. That's too much work. Like, this is something, it's so good, so attractive that people are just drawn to it. That's what God's doing in this covenant he makes with David. He's saying, I'm going to make you the most powerful nation on earth. I'm going to give you all the blessings. And you don't have to do the things that all the other kings have to do to maintain this power and this blessing. You can just trust me, rest in me, and I will take care of you. That's what's going on here. That's what 1 Samuel is bringing us to. But if you look at 1 Samuel, you see God, they need a king. Samuel's kind of the last judge, and he's a prophet. God anoints Saul. Saul was strong, powerful. He was the kind of guy that you think should be a king. Saul fails, and at the end, he doesn't turn back to God. He just trusts in himself. God raises up David. David doesn't even try to seize power. And we're going to learn about this. David reaches the pinnacle. That's what we learn about in this, in this, uh, at this moment when, D, when David is on the throne. But why does God bless David at that moment? What happens in the account that Sarah just read, the historical account? David realizes that he, they're building a palace for him. Now, remember, before this, it was just warring tribes. Jerusalem was just like a hill. It wasn't an established city. It's not like this walled city that we think of now. It's, it's just a, kind of a, a, a hill to the side that's, that's not fully established in, in this, this great city. And David decides he's going to build his, his, his palace there. But David recognizes that I shouldn't have a palace. Well, God's presence, the ark, sits in a tent. And God tells Nathan, hey, I want to reverse this. I want to put God first in my kingdom. And that's when God gives him his covenant. So what can we learn from this? No matter where you are in the brokenness cycle. Stop, turn back to God. Stop and turn back to God. So as you hear these stories of brokenness, stop and turn back to God. Every other Sunday, the first and the third Sunday of the month, we come and we take, come to the Lord's table and we take communion and we read from Jesus' words where he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which was poured out for you. Do I have that in, uh, I think it's Mark, uh, yeah, this. So this is in the New Living Translation, which is translated into modern English. After supper, Jesus took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant Between God and His people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So, as you're hearing these stories of brokenness, I don't want you to think we're better than those people. Look, we arrived. They're bad. We're good. I want you to think they needed Jesus. They needed God's favor and presence and forgiveness every day. We need God's favor, forgiveness, and presence every day. And when we come to this table, I want you to truly remember the new covenant we have in Jesus, all right? So when we saw that covenant video, I want that to lock that in your head. Like, just think, we are covenant people. And when we fail, God is still faithful. But don't purposely fail. (laughs) Like, it's good, it's better to be part of the blessing. The kingdom did a lot better under David than they did under the other people when they lost God's favor and invading armies kept invading them. We'll continue this theme throughout the series. So I wanna, I'm just prepping you guys. I'm trying to make your hearts ready so you understand the context of what God is doing as we look at Samuel and Kings. And the final point I want to bring up today is we're part of Christ. We're citizens of Christ's kingdom, of Jesus' kingdom. And this was from Lawrence's outline that he sent me. And he and us, we want you to remember this. And as we're learning these stories about the failed kingdom, I want you to remember that you're part of a kingdom that will never fail. You're free in Jesus. But the amazing thing is we're not just citizens. We're not just like bottom of the barrel citizens. The Bible also uses the terminology like we're sons and daughters of the king. I've done this before, but look to the person next to you and say, hello, your majesty, your majesty. We have direct access to God. And as we look at Samuel, we're going to see that he fulfills, Jesus fulfills the role of priest. He fulfills the role of prophet. He fulfills the role of king. And he fulfills the role of the anointed one, the one that the people were looking forward to, saying, like, we can't save ourselves. Somebody needs to save us. Jesus, all of it is wrapped up in Jesus. He is our hope. We are part of his kingdom. This is the good news. I'm just going to end uh, by looking at a couple of the promises that God David makes with God through and Nathan as the, as, they're, as they're, God's presenting the covenant to David and he's processing it. And I just want us to pray. So please join me in a prayer following David's train. David says, or in verse 8 of 2 Samuel 7, says, now then, tell my servant. So this is God speaking to David. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people, Israel, and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Please join me in prayer. God, when you establish this covenant with David, you give him hope. You say, David, you are just a lowly shepherd, but I chose you because you were the one who was going to represent me. And at this moment, God knows that David will fail as king, that he'll do some good things, but he'll have a lot of failures. But God chooses him. God, and I know that you choose each one of us. You called us. You saved us. And you anointed us as a king and a queen to rule with you. God, I thank you for your call on David. I thank you that we have a Bible that's filled with the bad stories. A Bible that's filled with the the dirt. Most ancient kingdoms wiped away all the bad stuff and only promoted the good. Our Bible, all the history, even the New Testament, even the gospel show the brokenness of humanity but the faithfulness of you, God. I pray for each person here that as we study Samuel and Kings that they would see that humanity's broken, that even the best kingdom you could provide, the people would still rebel and sin against you. But you love us, you called us, You're faithful to your covenant, and we get to be part of your new kingdom. God, may we live in that promise, and may we encourage each other in that promise. And as we we study these historical books that are over 3,000 years old, records of accounts of things that happened 3,000 years ago, God, but they're still relevant to us today. God, may you work in us and help us to continue to see that all the promises you made to David were really about you and your son. And you are fulfilling them in us and you will continue to fulfill them until the day you come back and we get to reign with you in this new heaven and new earth. God, that is our hope. We just trust that to you and thank you that we get to study your word each week and hear it proclaimed and meditate on it and dwell on it together as a covenant people. We just praise you and give this sermon series to you in Jesus' name, amen.